Folks, I hope um, as you arrived this evening, you might have received a couple of things. So one's a, a little acts poster. We've been printing these um, every month to give people a, a little bit of help as they uh, maybe consider reading the book of Acts in the weeks ahead. So take that home with you. Um, we'll maybe get a chance to notice it a, a little bit in a moment. The other thing you'll have received is um, a final, a much fancier looking edition of our, our book by book outline. Um, thank you to Mark who has helped me to, to put this together. Um, that, that'll make a great bookmark, a thing that you can stick in your Bible and if you're trying to read a book each month, you'll always know if you open it up, you'll always know which book we're reading at a particular time and you'll notice there with a couple of panels uh, of gray text towards the back that might help you, some helpful resources and then some, some questions that you can have before you as you read. So uh, keep, keep that before you. If you want to borrow one of those or I suppose it's not really borrow, take one and pass it on. If there's somebody you know who might enjoy using that, uh, take one with you this evening and pass it on. I wanted to say a couple of words uh, just to uh, put all of this back in a bigger context. I, I do want to make sure that nobody is feeling stressed or anxious about these, these Bible reading movements, as I call them, that I've introduced over the past months here at Hamilton Road. So last year, I talked about a thing about inviting people to read a psalm each day. And I know many people did that or maybe still are doing that. So that was a, a good thing. Um, just now I'm inviting people if they wish to try and read a book of the Bible each month. I, I think I said this, but I, I really need to stress it in case anybody feels stressed or anxious about this. I really hope none of that feels like a burden on people. Um, it's not intended to feel compulsory, all right? If I catch you and we have a conversation and I discover you're not reading Acts in April, that's okay, okay? I'm just looking you all in the eye to make sure you, you believe me about that. You're not in trouble if you're not reading Acts. If you're able to and you get the chance to, that is brilliant. The reason I need to say that is, uh, I think is a, a deeply theological thing. I want to lead you in the way of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, you might remember, one time famously said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Um, some scholars reckon that whenever a rabbi was talking about their yoke, they were talking about something quite particular. They were talking about their, their teaching or, or their way of, of leading people. So Jesus was looking around him at the other teachers, the, the other rabbis, and he was saying, well, maybe there are some out there who, who love to burden people, love to place a lot of obligation on people. And Jesus said, that's not my way. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So there's probably a balance that we're looking for here. If you're a, a very busy person who has an awful lot on your plate, then please don't allow these things that I talk about to feel like a burden. Uh, on the other hand, it's, it's maybe true that some of us have more time in our lives than we're making good use of. And in that case, maybe an invitation like this 
is one we, we could receive from the Lord. Okay. This evening I want to try and do a couple of things as we prepare ourselves to, to maybe read the book of Acts together. Uh, first of all, I'm going to give a, a brief overview. I'm going to do that for a few minutes. Then we'll break with a song. And then I'll come back and give you some, some sort of highlights, some, uh, something that I hope will whet your appetite for Acts. Luke and Acts, you may well know, are two volumes in a single work. Uh, so whenever Luke wrote his gospel and then went on to write Acts, he was beginning with the life of min and ministry of Jesus. And then he was continuing to trace the history of his followers uh, down uh, somewhere into the middle of the first century AD. Luke wrote this history with a, a few purposes in mind. The first purpose is to assure followers of Jesus that what they'd taught, been taught about him was trustworthy. It's likely that Theophilus, the, the man to whom he wrote, uh, the man who sponsored this work, the man who helped to circulate it, was in a Roman official. Whenever Luke introduces his gospel, so in Luke chapter 1, verse 3, Luke addresses him as most excellent Theophilus. So we're told that that's, that's the way you would uh, address a, a Roman official. So Luke speaks of him as somebody who's been instructed already in the Christian faith. So Theophilus already knows about Jesus. And Luke says that he wants him to know the certainty of the things that he's been taught. And I, I'm going to guess that Luke wants that for everyone. Not just for Theophilus, but everyone who later comes to read this record of his in the gospel and then in the book of Acts. And it's what we should hope for too, that, that reading Luke and Acts would, would make us more certain of things that we've learned before. There's a second purpose that Luke has as he writes this two-volume history. He wants to show us that God's faithful to his promises, that he keeps his promises. And the way he does this is he documents in his gospel how God made a, a promise to the people of Israel that he would send them a Messiah or a king. And then he shows us in his second volume in Acts how God invites the, the non-Jewish world to come and follow Jesus as well. So first of all, a Messiah for the Jews and then a, a gospel for the whole world. Luke wants us to remember these promises and then to see the outward movement of the church, not, not as an afterthought, not as something that, that just happened to happen after Jesus rose from the dead and people started to talk about him and preach him in Jerusalem. No, this has been the story of the Bible all along. And maybe if you were here last Sunday morning, as Chris Wright in half an hour told us the whole story of the Bible, you'll be, be more and more persuaded that God always intended to reach all men and women with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. His people, the Old Testament people of God, already were the light of the world. When Jesus came, he, he took that mantle for himself and he said, I am the light of the world. And then he looked at his, his 12 friends, his disciples, and he said, you are the light of the world. And then he, he wanted his disciples to be salt and light to reach the whole 
world for him. But we find Paul talking in these terms then in Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas, they're talking to a Jewish audience in Pisidian Antioch. Acts 13, the Lord has commanded us, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So Luke Acts is a story of how God invited first the people of Israel and then the people of all nations to follow Jesus. The structure of the books are fascinating. So Luke's gospel is structured as a journey to Jerusalem. A lot of time in, in Luke's gospel is spent, Jesus and his followers, working their way towards Jerusalem, towards the center of Jewish national life. In the second volume in Acts, the one that we're going to be reading together, it's all about movement away from Jerusalem. Paul ends up proclaiming the gospel at, at the far known reaches of the empire, right, right over to Rome, as far as people could, could almost think of in those days. This second volume, this book of Acts, has six different movements, and each one describes a, a successive stage in the expansion outwards from Jerusalem. And the divisions between them are marked with, with variations of this phrase, the word of God continued to spread and to flourish. So six times in the book we, we hear that. In the first phase, there's a community established in Jerusalem. And the first thing that happens to it is that it becomes Greek-speaking. For the first time, they've got different language skills, if you like. So that's chapters 1 to 6 of Acts. In the second phase, the community starts to expand, and it goes out into the rest of Palestine, but still pretty close to Jerusalem. That's chapters 6 to 9. In the third phase, what we have is Gentiles starting to be included in this community. So that's chapters 9 to 12. And then in the fourth part, the community starts to intentionally send messengers out to the, the cities of the province of Asia, modern-day Turkey, Paul's first missionary journey. And then in this, in this fifth phase, these messengers come for the first time to Europe. And that's the kind of thing we've been thinking about when we've been studying in our letter to the, the Thessalonians, the series that we've interrupted this evening. And then in a final phase, the community reaches, as I said, all the way to, to the capital of the empire in Rome and to the highest levels of society. God's invitation, if you like, has reached all nations by the time we get to the end. These, these movements are expansions of the Jesus movement. They've already been, uh, they've been described by some people as ripples in a pond, and you, you can sort of see that uh, as I describe those movements. We're already invited to anticipate them in, in those opening verses that we read. So look again at chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus promises his disciples, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Acts tells this really exciting missional story 
the Holy Spirit's acting like a, a centrifugal force. Do you remember the centrifuge in, in science? It was a wee thing you, you put, you put a test tube in and it spun really fast. It's a bit like a, a fancy washing machine, I suppose. It spins. But the force as you spin is to fire the thing out. Well, the Holy Spirit's like a centrifuge. He's, he's pushing the, 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 the disciples out with the gospel to the far corners of the empire and the world. We're going to come to think in a few moments about what, what some of the highlights of this book are, what, what you should be looking out for as you read it. This evening we've been thinking in our service about, about the call that God makes on each one of us to love him. We've said that we, we love him because he first loved us and our, our first couple of songs have uh, helped us to remember his love for us. Let's pause for a moment here to sing of our love now for God. My Jesus, I love thee. Okay, folks, you're going to need your Bibles. I'm going to be showing you um, a lot of passages in, in this next few minutes. So we've had that very brief overview of Acts but I want to take a few moments to show you some highlights and I think, uh, I hope whet your appetite to, to read this book this month. Uh, I want to start with the, the little poster you received. If you look at the very center, the, the title, you'll notice the, the guys who have written this, they're, they're clever, um, they, they do some interesting things. You'll see there they've, they've changed the title of the book from what we might traditionally um, call this book. Maybe you're like me, you grew up referring to this book as the Acts of the Apostles. Certainly, that's how I've referred to it. They, they have suggested that a more accurate title might be the Acts of Jesus and the Spirit. Let, let's see if they're right. The best way to do that would be to, to get into the text itself. We've just read the first 11 verses of the book. Uh, and we know now that by the time you get to verse 11, Jesus has returned to his Father in heaven. We've read about that in chapter 1, verse 9. So that seems strange then. If Jesus has returned to the Father in heaven, how can we say that this is a book about the acts of Jesus? How can that be? But Luke insists that it is. Did you notice it? Verse 1 of the whole book. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Not, not about all that he did and taught, but about all that he began to do and teach. The implication being that there's much more to tell about what he's doing and teaching, and I'm going to write a second book about it. Folks, the gospel account, Luke's gospel accounts only the beginning. Jesus' return to heaven doesn't mark the ending. It, it marks only the end of the beginning. Jesus is still doing and teaching. But now he's doing it in a different way. He's doing it through his apprentices, through his disciples. So if Jesus is still present, and if he's working through his disciples, then you'd expect that Jesus' disciples would be 
continuing his work, that they'd be doing the same work that Jesus did. You'd, you'd expect a certain kind of continuity. Well, let's, let's look at that and see if that's the case. Flick with me to chapter 3. We only need to look at the heading there in the NIV. And already, it's very interesting, Peter heals a lame beggar. We're told how Peter does it, verse 6. He simply speaks to him and he says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So whenever you do anything in the Bible in somebody's name, that means you do it in their power, in their, by their authority. Doing, you do it representing him. So Peter's saying, well, Jesus healed people, so now I'm going to do it too. Jesus is still doing things. But he's doing it now through Peter. That's not an isolated incident. So flick with me to chapter 5. You'll see the heading there halfway through that chapter at verse 12. The apostles heal many. Let's read that paragraph. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else there joined them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Tell me this, does that passage remind you of anything? People bring their sick, their demon-possessed, and they're all healed? Of course it does. It reminds you of the ministry of Jesus himself, as recorded by each of the gospel writers. This, this paragraph in, in Acts 5 feels like a straight lift out of, out of one of the gospels. It, it feels like Peter, again, has been doing exactly the work that Jesus has been doing. Jesus is still doing the same things, but now he's doing them through Peter. The book of Acts is insistent about this. So Jesus' followers were able to do the things that Jesus had been doing. They were even able to raise the dead. So in chapter 9, we read of Peter raising a woman called Dorcas from the dead. In chapter 20, in, in one of the preacher's favorite passages, Eutychus, you might remember him. He's the guy who fell asleep when the sermon was too long. He was sitting on a windowsill. He fell out from the first floor window and he died. Peter, or Paul, sorry, went down and raised him to life. Jesus is still doing what he always did, but he's doing it now through his followers. Come back with me for a second to that opening verse of this whole book. Luke claims that this second volume is going to show us more of what Jesus is doing, but also what he's saying. If that's the case, we'd expect to see that Jesus' followers are saying things like what Jesus had been saying. Well, what has Jesus been saying? Well, we were talking about that this morning, and we have been 
uh, as we've been looking at Matthew's gospel together, Jesus preaches about the coming of the kingdom of God and invites everyone to come and find their place in it. Luke is in full agreement. Different gospel writer, but he agrees with Matthew that this is Jesus' message. Look, look here even in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. He, Luke describes here Jesus' short post-resurrection ministry like this. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about what? The kingdom of God. Even after his dying, going to the cross, dying and rising again, Jesus is still talking about the kingdom of God. If his followers are really going to continue his work, then surely they'd be saying the same kinds of things. Surely they'd be preaching the same message that Jesus preached. Let, let's see if they do. Click with me to chapter 8. Here we have Philip. We get a, a brief description of the ministry of Philip. We're told in verse 12, but when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Philip's preaching the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Flick with me to chapter 19. This time we're reading about Paul and his ministry in Ephesus. Chapter 19, verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Paul is preaching the kingdom of God. Paul never stops preaching the kingdom of God. Luke insists on that as he brings this, this history of the early church to a close. Turn with me to the closing chapter, chapter 28. By now, Paul has made it all the way to Rome. He's a prisoner there, and Luke tells us of his ministry even in the prison there in Rome. Look at verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning until evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Just in case we miss it. Just in case we'd be tempted to preach on some other theme. Notice how Luke brings down the curtain. Verse 31. He tells us that Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without fear. So there we have it. The book of Acts really is about what Jesus continued to do and to teach. This book really should be called The Acts of Jesus. The guys who've printed our poster got that right. But they, they've asked us to consider that it should also be called The Acts of the Holy Spirit. It was as 
the spirit of Jesus empowered the disciples of Jesus, that the work of Jesus was continued in the book of Acts. Whenever you're, you're reading Acts, you've got to be on the lookout for the Holy Spirit. Now, you might say, I, I know that, Christoph. I know that the Spirit is prominent there in those early chapters of Acts. I know that, that Pentecost is the, the moment when the, the Spirit came. That's great, I say. But do you know about the importance of the Spirit before and after Pentecost? Do you know that nothing, nothing of any importance happens when God works in this world other than by his spirit? Luke insists on that. Let, let me show you by taking you out of the book of Acts into to Luke's gospel. Click with me to the start of Luke's gospel. What we're trying to notice here is that nothing, nothing happens unless the Spirit does it. So in chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel, verse 15, we're told of John the Baptist, this, this baby who will be born, this man who's going to pave the way for Jesus. Verse 15, he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. In the same chapter, verse 35, the angel Gabriel's come to visit a young teenager in Nazareth in Galilee with incredible news. You're going to have a baby. She says, how can that be? I've never been with a man. He says to her, verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Again, the Spirit's at work. When Mary goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, we read verse 41 that the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 67, we learn that John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. In chapter 2, we meet old Simeon. Remember Simeon, the old guy in the temple? Look at verses 25 to 27. We're told that the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. Are you getting the picture? There's nothing much happening here unless it's the Spirit of Jesus orchestrating and acting it out. In chapter 3, as he's preparing the way for Jesus, John the Baptist says, I'll baptize you with water, but one who's more powerful than I will come, uh, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In Luke's record of Jesus' baptism, verse 22, we're told that the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice spoke from heaven you're my son whom i love with you i'm well pleased in chapter four luke tells us that jesus full of the holy spirit left the jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness we could go on and on but i'm sure the point's settled already in your mind the spirit is very much at work in the life and the ministry of jesus 
we shouldn't be surprised to find in that the Spirit is very much at work in the life and the ministry of the followers of Jesus. Folks, if the Spirit's not at work, nothing, nothing of God is happening. Not in my life, not in this church. That's what we're going to see if we read the book of Acts. When I was studying this a little bit, I noticed Luke's gospel is the, the book of the Bible with the third most frequent references to the Holy Spirit. The book that has the second most references is 1 Corinthians, and you'll not be surprised which book has the most. It's the book of Acts, our, our book for this evening and this month. Before we even get to Pentecost, flick with me to Acts chapter 1. Again, it's all the Spirit. Some of this stuff I'd never really noticed before. Look at verse 2. Luke tells us that Jesus was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Verse 5 Luke tells us of an occasion when the risen Jesus was eating with his disciples. He promised them that he was about to fulfill what John had said, what John had predicted three years earlier. John baptized with water, but in a few days now, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to tell them, verse 8, this verse that summarizes in some ways the whole of the book of Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth everything absolutely everything that happened when Jesus lived on the earth and when he returned to his father and birthed the church everything depends on the work of the Holy Spirit do look out for that this month as you read it, the book of Acts and do pray about that. Ask the Lord what that means for you. Ask him what a greater presence of the Spirit in your life just now would look like. Pray over this church that we'll not be, do, do you remember the New Testament describes the church as the temple of the Holy Spirit? Temples were built to, to inhabit the very presence of the deity. The, the God's temple must be filled with the Holy Spirit, otherwise it's just, it's just worthless. Folks, we've seen that this book tells us of the acts of Jesus We've just seen that these acts of Jesus are at the same time the acts of the Holy Spirit. The last point I want to share with you as I invite you to read this book this evening is to see that the work is unstoppable. Brilliant. What else could it be? If it's the work of Jesus and it's the work of the Holy Spirit, what's going to stop it? How, how, how is it going to fail? Look 
I already said this in our overview, but I thought we'd take a couple of moments to finish. Luke shows us this with a repeated phrase that he uses after each of his six stages of expansion. Let's notice them quickly. We'll just click and, and see them. Chapter 6, verse 7. It's that famous passage about appointing Stephen and others to wait on the tables. Whenever that was done, when the apostles were allowed to continue their ministry of word and prayer, verse 7, we're told, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Chapter 9, verse 31. Another one of these, these summary phrases. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So there's this sense of spreading. Chapter 12, verse 24. This is after a season of, of some Gentiles beginning to find their place in the family. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. Chapter 16, verse 12. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew daily in numbers chapter 19 verse 20 after hearing a little bit about paul in ephesus we read this in this way the word of the lord spread widely and grew in power and finally chapter 28 the very end of the book These last couple of verses, Luke tells us of a time when for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Folks, look for a moment at where this book ends. We have Paul under house arrest. He's renting a house, but he's a, he's a prisoner. He's an older man by now. He's a, a veteran of many gospel campaigns. As you maybe know, he's, he's been battered and beaten for the gospel. But here he is. What's he doing? He's welcoming people. He's preaching the kingdom. He's doing it with boldness. And look at that last phrase, the very last words of the entire book. It's all happening without hindrance. You, you can put the, the messenger in chains, but you can't chain the gospel. It's unstoppable. Folks, maybe that's a, a great place to finish our, our look at the book of Acts. When disciples of Jesus Christ continue to do the work of Jesus Christ and preach the message of Jesus Christ, 
in the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, they prove unstoppable. It was so then. Let's pray that it will be so now. Let's pray.